Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey, welcome back. I'm Marco Palmieri. And I'm Diana Foe. Welcome to my last spin around the studio, folks. This audio journey has been truly fantastic, Marco, and I can't believe our episodes together have gone so quickly. I never thought anything would compete with my enjoyment of sharing these stories with the world, but Diana, sharing them with you in particular has been an absolute blast. And I'm especially happy to close out my time here by talking about one of my favorite writers to work with, P. Jelly Clark. You've always had a great editorial eye, Diana, so it makes perfect sense that you were his editor at Tor Books. What a tremendous talent. I'm so glad we could acquire some of his short fiction for this show. And I'm super excited that we finally get to share part two of his dark fantasy novelette, Ghost Marriage. To recap part one, Aryan is cursed. Malith, her husband's ghost, won't leave her alone. And so she flees to the desert in search of help from the rumored blood woman. She's also pursued by the unlikeliest of animal companions, the repentant bull who had slain her husband. Ayan narrowly avoids death and danger, but is finally found by Blood Woman. Yet her aid comes at a price. And now we'll learn what that price is. This is part two of Ghost Marriage by P. Jelly Clark, voiced by Jennifer Canari. Ayen stared at the sorceress, who suddenly seemed as dangerous as her reputation. When she nodded in acceptance, the old woman smiled wide, the way a jackal would at a meal that had wandered carelessly into its den. Gold, fine cloth, cattle, she mocked. Those that come offer me things I care little for, things important in their world, not mine. Now, what can you give me? Ayen flinched as the old woman's fingers ran along her arm. Skin still carries the softness of youth. What it would be to live in such soft skin again. And eyes still sharp. How would the world seem from behind them? She put her hand to Ayen's belly and frowned. Hmm, a troubled womb though. You will bear no children. The words were idly said, but to Ayen, they still cut sharp. So it was true. She was barren. Lost in her own thoughts, she almost did not realize the old woman's hands had stopped. On her forehead. These, she exclaimed. I want these. 
Ayan frowned, her own hand touching the same space. My markings? The old woman nodded. Her fingers traced the raised beaded dots that rose across Ayen's skin. They spiraled into a pattern across her forehead and down her cheeks. They were common adornment of Jeng women, received upon leaving girlhood. She remembered the day her mother and aunts marked her with a sharp hot knife after her first bleeding. The memory still filled her with pride. No! Ayen shook her head, pulling away. They're all I now own. It was truth. Among the Zheng, these markings gave meaning. They named her as a cock, a woman. The old woman's eyes were hard black stones. I am no Hagla. Accept my demands or leave. Ayen met her stare, taken aback by its coldness. There would be no argument. With reluctance, she lowered her gaze and the old woman palmed her forehead tight. The words she whispered were foreign and brought pain, slicing her skin. She clenched her teeth and balled her fists tight, trying not to cry out. Then it was done, and the old woman pulled away. Ayen touched her forehead. The skin was now smooth, naked. Across from her, the sorceress sat grinning, the markings now adorning her wrinkled flesh. Your offer freely given is accepted, spirit girl. I gave you nothing free, Ayen said bitingly. The old woman narrowed her eyes. True enough. We should begin. She rose, setting her many beads and jewelry to rattling. Unbinding the dead from the living is no easy thing, and it will be less so with you, spirit girl. Why do you call me that? I am as much flesh as you are. Ayen had endured the seeming jibe, but her patience had vanished with her markings. The old woman cackled, rifling through the hanging pouches on her wall. Flesh you are, but your other foot is rooted firmly in spirit. She rounded about, meeting Ayen's puzzled look. Have you not wondered how your malith is able to enter back into our world? Ghost marriages among Jang are common. Yet how many like yours? So I thought, she muttered at Ayen's silence. The spirit realms are many, some say endless. We of flesh contain not enough spirit to walk them, much as they cannot walk ours. But you are more spirit than most. I can see it about you, even now. Strong, pulsing with life. This is how your malit reaches into our world, through you. Ayen listened, momentarily at a loss for words. How did this come to be? She asked, frightened. Was I cursed? Did I wrong? The old woman waved away her words. No more cursed than the singer with a sweet voice. So you were born. I can teach you, I can teach you of it if you wish. Ayen shuddered. She wanted no such thing. This spirit curse, damn what the old woman said, had brought her nothing but ill. Then something came to her. Could a spirit enter a dream? she asked. 
The old woman shrugged, going about her work. Possible. The dream world is closer to the spirit world. Ayen recalled her nights with Malit, his warmth, his touch. I will need your help, the old woman called. Ayen pushed away those thoughts and rose. She was remarkably rested. But, as expected, the rounded roof brushed her head, causing the old woman to smirk. You are a tall one. I am Jeng, Ayen replied. And even with my markings, you will not be. Night had long fallen as Ayen knelt beside the sprawling pattern of white powder that now adorned the earthen floor of the old woman's home. Candles rendered from the fat of some beast marked it, as did sharp-edged silver amulets. The pungent smoke of some burning herb escaped its bowl in curling wisps of white, choking the air alongside the old woman's incantations. Through a slit in the animal hide door, Ayen looked upon the stars in the night sky. She could make out the bull as well, keeping a silent vigil. The claim that this beast had journeyed across the scorched lands seeking absolution seemed madness. Yet, what else explained his constant presence? She had asked if a price was exacted from the bull to relay his message. The old woman had nodded, but said no more. As always, Malit was there, a far away but close presence. She'd feared he would lash out when he realized her intent, but he had done nothing. Perhaps, Ayen mused, he wanted this as much as she. It is time, the old woman declared. She lifted up a small flat disc. One side was plain and dull, but the other was a wonder, like the surface of water that did not ripple. The old woman called it a mirror. Spirits are vain, she said, handing it to Ayen, and cannot resist their reflections. But what more are they in our realm than reflections? One look and the mirror will trap them. But take care. Her voice turned stern. Do not look upon the spirit when trapped, for he will seek to enter you. I will lead him elsewhere. She turned and gave a series of shrill whistles. After a long while, it was answered with a squeak. Ayen looked down in surprise to see a mouse entering the small house. No larger than her hand, it scampered to the old woman, who seized it up quickly. It twitched and squealed, but a few whispered words sent it unnaturally still. Your mallet will enter here. From her waist, she pulled a small dagger with a hooked end. When he does, I will end this small life. As it dies and enters the spirit world, it will draw away your husband's spirit with it. Do you understand? Ayen nodded. So this was how her marriage would end. In blood. Good. Now, call him. Ayen took a deep breath and did so. At first there was no answer. She called twice more. Still nothing. Perhaps he would not come, she feared, and half hoped. Then, in a rush, an unseen presence filled the small space, casting a shadow and bending the flames of the candles. That familiar, cold laughter sounded in her ears, and she shivered. Malith. Dead husband, 
the old woman called out. Come show us your face. Let your wife look upon you now as she did in life. The presence about them stirred stronger, sending a slight gale that made the candles dance and flicker. The pungent smoke that filled the air swirled about them as the laughter grew louder. And there, above the white markings, a shape began to form. Ayen inhaled sharply. From the midst of the smoke there appeared what looked like a man. He towered above them, a vague outline of a torso, a neck, and a head. She struggled to glimpse his face, but he had no more features than he had flesh. Now, girl, the old woman hissed, call him to you, make him look. Ayen gripped the overturned mirror, her breath caught in her throat. Mallet, she stammered. At her voice, the spirit turned towards her. She searched for some recognition of her dead husband, some slight resemblance, but there was nothing. With a whispered apology, she pulled forth the mirror and held it high. A terrible wail rose from the spirit that made her insides quiver as its ephemeral form was pulled towards its reflection. The mirror shook and it felt to Ayen as if someone was pushing strongly from the other side. Then, in a moment, it was done. Good, the old woman said. She turned her gaze away as she held up the mouse. In her other hand was the dagger. He, a restless spirit, she coaxed. I have found a new place for you. Come now so you can find peace. Ayen looked into the glazed eyes of the bewitched mouse, which reflected the mirror and the swirling spirit trapped within. Beneath her breath, she joined the old woman, urging Malith into the small creature so that this grim work could be done. Suddenly, the mirror shook violently, nearly flying from her hands. There was a terrific groan, and then, without warning, it exploded. Ayen was thrown back, her bloodied hands holding only a piece of the glass. The rest flew out like sharp blades, shredding the mouse and burying themselves into the old woman's arm. She cried out and brought her head forward, meeting the gaze of a large bit of mirror that sailed past her vision. For a moment, she seemed to go numb. The veins about her neck bulged beneath her skin like serpents as her mouth opened wide in a silent scream. A convulsive shudder shook her body and her dark eyes rolled back until only the whites showed. Then she went still, breaking into a wide grin as a cold laugh escaped her lips. Ayen felt her stomach go hollow. She knew that laugh. Mullet, she dared. The old woman turned, tilting her head unnaturally to the side and glaring with bone-white eyes. Ayen grimaced. The mirror had shattered and she'd looked inside. Mullet had entered her, not the mouse. Mullet, she tried again. You can't stay here. You have to go. Outside, the bull snorted loudly, stamping his hooves and shaking his head. She spared him a glance but crept forward slowly. Maybe she could reason with Malit. Maybe she could convince him to go. The old woman suddenly erupted into spasms. Her fingers went to her face, gouging the flesh beneath the crimson ochre and cutting gashes into her cheeks. 
She screamed, and thick black liquid poured from her nose and mouth, reeking of death. Ayen thought she would gag. In a sweep of air, the old woman was hoisted back, flying from her home and into night. Ayen followed, scrambling through the door into the outside. There she found the old woman being tossed about, her body slamming the dry ground repeatedly like some doll. She tried to get close, but the bull leapt up, blocking her path. In frustration, she managed to make her way around him. But by then, it was too late. Ayen scrambled over, frantic and speechless. The old woman was bruised and broken. White bone showed where it pierced the flesh of one leg. Another jutted within her neck, causing it to swell. Her dark eyes were wide as she spit up the putrid black liquid. She reached out, grabbing Ayen and dragging her down as she tried to speak through broken teeth. Not Malit, she rasped. She repeated it again and again until the last breath escaped her. Ayen pulled away from the corpse's grasp, confused and shaking. Not Malit? That couldn't be. She could still feel him, unseen yet stronger than ever. But wait, no. Something was different. Something wrong. She shivered. The air seemed colder, dead, almost stifling. And a feeling of dread filled her within. Gods above and below, the old woman was right. This was not her husband. This was not Malit. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Who are you, she dared. The voice was immediate, a whisper that rumbled. Your husband, my wife, it mocked. She shook her head. You are not Malit. I never claimed to be. Ayen shuddered. Nihalik, preserve her. Who are you? She demanded again. That cold laughter filled her ears. Nameless. Nameless? She fought to stop her voice from trembling. Are you another of the dead, then, who does not rest? Something unseen suddenly grabbed her by the throat, lifting and pinning her harshly to the wall of the earthen dwelling. She choked and gasped for air, as all around the voice snarled and raged like a starved beast. Frail thing that lives and rots, I am beyond life, beyond death. I am the hidden, the dweller in the dark, the nameless. For were I to reveal to you my true self, your mortal soul would shrivel and burn away. Ayen fell as she was released, gasping for breath. I knew this world when it was yet young, the voice roared. One of the first beings, before mortals, before even your cursed gods. It was ours to rule, to ravage. We waged wars of such horror the land trembled. Belching fire that boiled seas and scorched the skies. 
we were glorious. Then the new gods came, usurpers, seeking to make this realm over as their own. We crushed many, trampling them to dust. But they were cunning. They tricked us, banished us, leaving us to wander in nothingness, never to walk these realms again. Ayen winced at each word, laced with such emotion, hate, pain, anger, deeper than any she'd ever known, any she ever thought possible. But we are also cunning, the voice hissed. Across seas of time we have searched for someone like you, child of flesh and spirit. We felt your presence at your very birth, a ripple across the realms and waited until our chance. When your priest sought to bind you to your dead Malit, I took his place. Ayen recoiled in horror, recalling the day of the ritual, the ill wind and the omens. It had been this thing. This was the presence she'd felt all this time, and in her dreams she had let it touch her. She had let it... She choked back the bile rising in her throat. You killed Yar, his son. Why? For the same reason I killed the horsemen that would enslave you. Why I killed this witch who would have taken you from me. We are bound now, my wife, and I have great use of you. When the voice laughed again, Ayen covered her ears, praying so she would not weep. It was near dawn when they set out. Ayen turned back once to gaze at the trail of smoke in the distance. Nameless commanded she set the old woman's home ablaze. It commanded many things now, and she obeyed. It was stronger, pulled further into the world by the old woman's spells, and by her but it still couldn't leave its lightless prison. Not yet. That's what she was for. She flinched each time Nameless called her wife. Yet that's what she was now, bound to it by magics intended for her dead husband. The deaths that sent her fleeing her village were all its design. It wanted her here, in the scorched barren lands where its power was greater. Most of all, it wanted freedom. There was a place, it claimed, where the walls of its prison were weak. For time beyond time, its kind had beat upon those walls, seeking to tear them down. But they were always unable. Now, through her, they would try again. Days passed. She was afforded only brief snatches of rest before being awakened harshly. Refusal brought punishment, unseen straps striking with such fury she blacked out. She'd become too fatigued to even eat. But her mouth was pried open, the food shoved down, leaving her throat raw and her teeth bloodied. More than once she'd feared she would die, but Nameless would not allow that. Not yet. Instead, it wanted her mind to shatter beneath the strain, leaving her a beast that reacted only to pain and the lash. Her only other companion now was Malit's murderer. Nameless had allowed her to take the bull. During her brief moments of rest, when their gazes met, he seemed to speak to her, making her remember who she truly was. A yen of the Akok, a jeng, 
one of the first people and lords of men. Somehow she would survive this. Ayen did not know how many days came and went. Wherever they now walked, there was no life, not even the calling of insects at night. It carried a silence that spoke for its emptiness. She was draped over the bull, her food and water near done, and there was none to be found in this dry, lifeless place. But then they stopped, and Nameless spoke. Here, it is here. Ayen lifted her head, looking about through bleary eyes. In the horizon, the sun was a fiery ball falling into the earth. The land about her was barren, littered with fine black rock like sand. She slid off the bull and put her bare feet to the ground, which burned hot beneath. But she endured the pain as she endured so much else. Behold, Shad Lahar! Here my fortress stood, swallowing all beneath its shadow. I see nothing, Ayen rasped wearily. Just a dead land. She readied herself for the blows to come for her insolence. But instead she was seized from her feet. She felt her body soar up at great speed, the wind beating her face so fierce tears streaked across her cheeks. When she finally came to a stop, she hovered high in the sky. The sun now so close she thought she might reach out and burn her hands upon it. Beneath her was the world as Nameless hissed in her ears. Look close, wife. What do you see? Ayen looked. Across the barren land was a great mark, as if a giant had taken a blade and scarred the earth. It stretched out in every direction, made of one line that looped itself into patterns like a knot. The mark of the young gods across my great city, a seal to keep it trapped and hidden forever from this realm. But no longer. Already I am able to reach to it, pulling it from the void as I pull myself forth. Do you see now, wife? Do you see what is coming? Ayen trembled. She could see it well. It was like mist, slowly taking form. A looming monstrosity of black stone with sharp fingers that cut into the sky. It covered the land as far as she could see. All within it, things stirred. Creatures with hideous faces and twisted mouths, teeming and writhing in a dark mass. And above them all was the greatest horror of all. The thing looked like nothing Ayen could have stolen from any nightmare. It was a giant, a massive being of pale grey flesh, long and shaped like a worm, arms curving as snakes flowed out from it, wrapping about the stone structure. Two great wings opened wide from its back, drowning all beneath in shadow. Crowning its monstrous body was a head, hidden behind a carved mask of iron that took on a new face by the moment each more terrifying than the last. Ayen did not need to be told who this was. Nameless, she whispered, gazing upon the god in awe and horror. That cold laugh filled her ears. Soon this world will have a name for me, and men will bite out their tongues rather than utter it.
Ayen was released, falling so fast she didn't have time to scream. She was dropped onto the ground, not gentle, but at least alive. She staggered to her feet. The dark city was all about her, but it was not here, not fully, not yet. It hovered partly in this realm and the next, trying to break free of its prison. She could push her hands through its walls, and the horrid creatures that lurked within swarmed about her like smoke. Some walked on two legs, others on many more, misshapen mockeries of men and beasts. Orifices like mouths filled with gnashing teeth gaped where eyes should have been, and in their many hands they carried savage weapons. All of them would eventually break free, she knew, and she would be the cause. Her presence weakened whatever barriers held the two realms apart. Soon they would collapse and these horrors would come pouring out. This is what she would give birth to. If Nameless was the father of this nightmare, she would be its mother. No, she whispered, shaking her head at the madness of it all. This will not be. With careful hands, she gripped the knife at her waist, sliding it from its scabbard. She let her finger run across its edge, cutting the skin easily. Yes, this would do if she had the resolve. Nhialik pray she did. Nameless had not thought to take the weapon from her. Such a thing could do it no harm. But it did not know her strength and to what limits she would go. Indeed, she had not known until this very moment. Only she would have to be quick. Bringing up the blade, she placed it on her neck, the cold iron seeming eager to bite her skin. The cut would have to be deep so that when she spilled her blood, death was assured. She whispered a prayer prepared to drive the blade home when something knocked her down hard. Ayen fell, sprawling, the bull standing over her. He stamped his hooves and shook his head. She scowled. Was the beast to betray her now? When she again readied the knife, he struck again, knocking the blade away. She gasped in exasperation, readied to lash out, but he had latched onto her skirt and was tugging hard. When she managed to break away, there was a tear as the goatskin shredded. Items she tucked away spilled out, falling to the ground below. Three golden rings, the scabbard to the Janjawa knife, and something that glistened, which the bull stamped his hoof at. It was a bit of glass from the old woman's shattered mirror. She'd taken it, thinking perhaps she'd like to glimpse her face again one day. But what use was it now? She looked at the bull, perplexed. What do you want? He stamped his hoof again at the mirror and snorted heavily. She recalled the old woman's words. The beast could talk in his own way if any chose to listen. As she looked down again at the mirror, he slowly walked forward, lowering his massive head until it rested on the Janjawa blade. And in that moment, Ayen suddenly understood. Penance was what he sought, the old woman had said. To atone for taking Malit's life, he had pledged his own. You would do this? she asked. For me? His unblinking eyes stared up in answer. Ayen nodded once in silent acknowledgement and wasted no more time. 
She snatched up her knife and the piece of mirror and turned to stare up at Nameless. With a blade to her neck, she drew on all her strength and screamed out her defiance. The monstrous being turned its attention, untangling its great body from the city and surging towards her. Even unsubstantial as it yet was, when that massive, horrid iron mask reared up before her, she nearly fell away in fright. The voice thundered. You need only wait a few moments longer, wife, and I will grant you death. Oh, I take my life now, she spat back, and leave you in your prison. Nameless snarled with the fury of a tempest. Just a thought, and I can grind the bones in your frail flesh to powder, leaving you alive only long enough to be of use. I have another idea, husband. From behind her back, she brought up the bit of mirror, letting the spirit gaze at its reflection. Nameless let out a deafening howl, and the face before her began to waver, collapsing into mist. The old woman had showed her this trick. The mirror captured spirits. And for all its power, Nameless was still spirit. Its vaporous body quickly lost shape and flowed speedily into the glass with all the strength of an unleashed river. The force of it staggered her to her knees, but she held strong until it disappeared inside. She released a thankful breath, but the work was partly done. Like before, the mirror would not hold such a powerful being. Already it trembled and shook. Turning, she found the bull gazing at her. His head dipped lightly, an acceptance of what was to come. Ayen turned away and lifted the mirror, letting him gaze fully at the spirit trapped within. The bull's eyes rolled back until only the whites showed, and thick black liquid that reeked of death poured from his nostrils and mouth. She scrambled away as he made unearthly sounds and his body kicked and flailed wildly, echoing into the night. Nameless, trying to break free. But the bull held him, fought him and kept him there, just long enough for her to act. Ayen was no warrior, but as all other Zheng, she'd grown up around cattle. The trick was to come from behind where they couldn't twist their heads to see. Then it was just a simple matter to leap up upon their backs. And if you could grab the horns, there was something to hold to. She managed it as easily as when she was a child, holding tight as the possessed bull struggled madly. Draping her arms about his thick neck, she pressed the Janjawa blade into the soft flesh. Farewell, husband, she whispered, and with one wide sweep opened the bull's throat. She was sent flying, landing on her shoulder in an explosion of pain that made her scream. Fighting from blacking out, she looked up in time to see the bull's front legs give out, blood flowing in torrents from the gash in its throat. Out too came the black liquid, disappearing into the ground that drank it eagerly. It was as the old woman said, in death the bull was taking Nameless with him, out of this world and back to its dark prison. Far across the blighted landscape, lines glowed bright in the black earth, the sigil that held Nameless and its city coming alive to trap them once again. Then, abruptly, all fell silent. Ayen looked around. Nameless was gone. So was the dark city. The sigil, too, no longer glowed. 
She raised her scraped and bruised body, one arm dangling uselessly as she stumbled over to the bull. It sat, tongue hanging from its mouth, as blood poured freely from the wound she'd inflicted. She nestled against him, cradling his head and running a hand across those long red-striped horns. He was magnificent. Pressing her lips against an ear, she whispered inside, I forgive you. It was all she could manage to say. And it was no lie. That must have been enough. For those knowing eyes turned to regard her before his body went heavy, and finally still. She whispered a proper Jeng prayer for his spirit, Malith's murderer, her saviour. It was done. She was free. And with the coming dawn, somehow she would find her way. Ayen's thoughts were drowned away as a sudden roar pierced the stillness. Beneath her the land trembled and heaved as if alive. Something was rising out of the earth, something immense, something dark. Her mind formed the coming horror before it could be seen. Nameless. The spirit erupted from the earth in a geyser of swirling black sand, bringing a second night to the dark sky. It towered before her like an angry mountain, raging and cursing in endless tongues, struggling to claw its way free. Ayen fell back in terror, wondering if her battered body could yet flee. But even as she watched, Nameless's prison pulled like a leash, trying to draw it back inside. The world itself seemed to bend and stretch as the ensnared god strained against it, struggling to claw free. For a moment, Ayen feared it would succeed. Either that or the whole world would be wrenched apart. Then, with a sudden force, the prison grabbed hold of its captive and the opening Nameless had managed to create began to collapse. The god howled in anger and defeat as it was drawn back into the void. Before vanishing, it surged forward one last time and the iron mask that concealed it slid apart, revealing what lay beneath. The blood drained away from Ayan's face as she stared into the many faces of Nameless, each more horrid than the next. When the scream finally erupted from her throat, she found she couldn't stop. She was still screaming when darkness claimed her. Ayan blinked her eyes open to find the sky, bright and blue with the sun above. She was moving, but she did not walk. She fought to turn her head finding her neck stiff. People surrounded her. Some wore dark robes and veiled their faces. Others wore little and made their faces known. Their skins ranged from brown to ebon, but none looked to be Zheng. When she tried to rise, a hand touched her shoulder. Be easy, a voice came. Your shoulder has been set back in place, but you should not place weight upon it. Ayen looked up to find a woman. Much of her face was hidden by rounded bits of silver, stringed to beads that rattled as she moved. She looked perhaps her mother's age, with near bronze skin and lips stained black. Her mouth worked as she chewed on something continuously, while eyes as silver as her coins stared down. Where? Ayen rasped, her throat dry. The woman brought forth a water sack letting some dribble onto her lips. She licked away the first few drops, 
then drank until she could talk. Where am I? Who are you? I am Zara of the Amazi, the woman replied. You are in a caravan bound for the Eastlands near the Green Sea. The Eastlands, Ayen repeated. She strained to lift her head slightly, gazing about. She was in a cart, pulled along by a large shaggy beast with curving, downturned horns. On either side of them were more women, two figures, each wrapped in blood-red cloth with spears and curved swords strapped to their backs. They rode atop giant brown-striped lizards that walked upright on two legs. One of them, a woman with a conical silver helmet, turned an ebon face etched with golden marks to spare Ayena glance before returning her gaze to the landscape. You take me to a slave market? Zara snorted. You wear a Janjawa veil and blade, but name us slavers? Ayen looked down to where her hands clutched something at her waist. The knife. You would not release it, Zara said. Even when we found you, lying with a dead bull in the barren lands, we carried you with us, wondering if you would wake. That was seven days past. Ayen gasped. She seemed to be in the habit of losing time. Who are you, girl? Zara asked. You look jeng, but you wear no markings of womanhood. And cattle people rarely wander alone or so far. She paused, frowning beneath her veil of coins. The night before we found you, there were ill omens, unearthly voices. Some claimed to see ghostly visions in the distance. A dark city. Ayen listened, clutching her knife tight as memories flooded her thoughts. When the woman stopped, she finally answered. I am Ayen of the Akok, thrice married, once to the living, once to the dead, once to a god. Zara's eyebrows rose, as did those of some nearby who whispered to each other while stealing glances. Your face is youthful, the woman noted, but you wear ages upon it. Ayen looked to her curiously, and the woman pulled something rounded and small from her robes. A mirror. Ayen stared within, pushing back her veil. It had been some time since she'd shaved her scalp, as was common to Jeng women. Now a fine bit of hair grew like a field of wild grass, only it was as white as bone, near silver. So too were her eyebrows. She ran fingers over them in wonder. The price of looking upon the face of a god, she murmured. She returned the mirror and eyed the older woman with interest. What business do you have in the east, Zara? We go to the Za'ar. Ayen shook her head, not understanding. A gathering for wise and holy women, Zara explained, strong in matters of magic and spirit. All here are. Ayen looked around at the caravan, only now noticing there were no men among them. Strong in magic and spirit, she repeated. As are you, Zara replied. More than one woman here has noticed as much. It is not by chance, I think, that we have found you here in this barren land. Ayen felt that as well. Spirit girl, the old woman had named her. Curse it may have been, but perhaps Nhialik had set her on this path with purpose. Suddenly she wanted to know more. She needed to know more. No Jen could speak to her on this, 
but the women of this Za'ar. Can I come with you? Zara met her question with silence, before nodding. I feel it may be best that you do. Ayen thanked her, taking a moment to dwell on her hasty decision. There was nothing for her at home. To her people she was still cursed, and no man would have her as a wife. She would remain at her family's compound, spending life as her mother's attendant. No, if this bizarre journey taught her one thing, it was that there was much to learn in this world. Besides, she had never before seen a sea. Her eyes wandered back to the strange older woman. Zara, how is it you speak Jeng? The woman gave her an odd look. I do not speak Jeng, child, nor are you speaking it now. You speak Amazi, the very dialect of my own clan, with ease, as if you were born to it. Ayen glared, only now realizing her mouth formed unfamiliar sounds. You have spoken that and many other tongues in your sleep these past days. It has been remarkable to hear. Ayen could only stare back in wonder. Nihialik Kipa, what was this? You looked into a face of a god, she reminded herself. Who knew what other changes may come? Three husbands you claim to have, Zara said, breaking her thoughts. Is one of them, then, the father? Ayen glared at the woman, perplexed. Father? How do you mean? Zara frowned. You must know you are with child. Ayen felt every part of her body tremble as she shook her head. That's not possible, she whispered hoarsely. I am barren. Zara lifted a bejeweled and painted hand to Ayen's belly, feeling about. Barren you may have been, but this womb now carries life. Freshly planted, but strong. I ask again, who then is the father? Ayen said nothing, a hand moving slowly to caress her belly as her eyes wandered across the sands that seemed to rise and fall like her thoughts in boundless waves. This story certainly had a lot of different twists I had not expected. I'd assumed from the first half that something felt off with Malice spirit, but had not expected a whole different supernatural being to be the reason. It's exactly the sort of thing I've come to expect from P. Jelly Clark. Just when you think we've reached the height of tension, intrigue, and excitement, he takes it up another notch. His fiction is absolutely thrilling. Yeah, and I also wonder about the origins of the nameless. If I recall correctly, part of the mythology around Jin is that another word for them is the nameless. And if that's the source material Fenderson is referring to, I'm personally delighted to see his use of Jin has continued in his later works with Tor.com in the dead Jin universe of books. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, you know, there are similar creatures in The Paladin of Galota, another P. Jelly Clark story we featured on the show, and in Skin Magic, which I hope to be able to share in a future episode. His dark gods and demons have this eldritch quality that literally worms its way through a lot of his fiction. Yeah, there's also enough of an open door to a greater magical world set up by the end of the story. I am being a spirit girl, this whole troop of women magicians who ride lizards, another city of magic by the ocean. It'd be fascinating if Fenderson chooses to revisit any of this in another story. 
I am so in agreement with you. I would be all over a sequel to Ghost Marriage. Ayen is a fascinating protagonist, and I would love to read and listen to more stories about her. I may even start an Ayen Stan account. Well, I will definitely follow that. That brings us to the end of this episode, Diana. Thanks again for always being the co-host with the most. I'm going to miss not having you in the studio. Thank you so, so much for joining me on this wild ride into the dark fantastic. Oh, well, thank you, Marco, for having me as your co-host. And thank you, listeners, for sticking around. If you feel like offering a token of appreciation, you know, please leave a five-star review of our show on your preferred podcast platform. And join me and my new co-host when we return for season two of Stories to Keep You Up at Night. But before we go, Diana, just this one time, let's say it together. Pleasant Pleasant nightmares. nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 56, features Ghost Marriage by P. Jelly Clark. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw and executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Diana M. Foe. Performed by Jennifer Canari. Audio produced by Tidef Studios. Additional editing by Angela Yi. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.